all that is within me cries for you alone be glorified Emmanuel God with us my heart sings a brand new song the dead is pain these chains are gone Oh, yeah. 
Good, good morning, everybody. It is good to see you. Every week I see people I haven't seen in a couple months, and uh, so a few more of you kind of sneak in here every week. It's so good to see you guys, and uh, for those of you watching on the internet, we are so glad to have you there as well, and I, I hope and I pray that we can be an encouragement to you this morning. I want to take a few minutes. I asked you last week to be praying for the elders as we had a uh, an elder meeting this last Wednesday night where some uh, big decisions were made, some of which we will let you know in the coming months about this next year. But uh, we are very excited to be presenting some things to you. Uh, but uh, for this morning, I just want to share with you, I am aware. I, first of all, let me say thank you for your patience with us. Uh, we have uh, tried to be Solomon and be wise as it relates to COVID. And, uh, as, uh, I, and, and we get more and more questions. When are you going to open up? Uh, and uh, although we have been encouraging you to come over the past few months, uh, we've tried to segregate the congregation, split aisle, uh, have an aisle in between, and keep you apart just for wisdom situation. And, and uh, we want you, this, it's been about six months since this thing started, maybe more, and uh, we want you to be wise. And what I want to share with you is all dependent upon your health and what you think is wise for your family. But we are very excited that the week after next, next week's Labor Day, the week after next, we're going to just open it up to uh, all y'all to come on out and worship with us again as you feel healthy, as you feel it wise for your health condition. Uh, but we're just going to open it up. Uh, we're not going to open wide up, though, and, and I'll explain that in a moment. We're going to continue to allow your Bible studies to work the way that they've been working. Uh, and, uh, and right now, some are meeting, some are meeting online. I know ours is. Uh, some are doing Zoom. Uh, some meet uh, once a month. But whatever your Bible study is doing, uh, we're going to encourage you to keep doing. So this is what it looks like. On sep Sunday, September 13, we're going to get rid of the yellow caution tape in here, and we're no longer going to separate by a row. We're going to encourage you to continue put, putting four chairs between you and your family, three or four chairs, and uh, the family next to you. Uh, if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. Uh, we ask that as you come, you obey the government. In other words, they are asking us to wear masks in public. So when you enter, we ask you to wear a mask as we are now. When you get to your seat, you can take that mask off. Uh, if you're concerned, you can wear a mask while we sing. That would be up to you. But uh, that's going to happen on the 13th. Uh, at the end of the month, at the end of September, and I'll, I'll send a letter out to you all this week with detailing this, but at the end of September, Mother's Day Out, which is our two-day-a-week preschool program that happens during the week, uh, will begin. Uh, and then the first Sunday in October, we are going to start having infant care. That's going to be age zero through four-year-olds. And we're going to stick at that place for a while. And by January 1st, it is our intention of opening everything up. Back to Wednesday nights with children's ministry and student ministry. Uh, Sunday morning, we'll then have child care uh, during the worship service, during the, uh, during the Bible study hour. But for now, on September 13th, a week after next Sunday, we're inviting everybody to come back who feels healthy, who feels comfortable doing that, uh, in, uh, and, uh, and we'll, we'll kind of start gliding in. If you have children, please, you can still come. I, and some of you I know won't until we start offering child care. Um, whatever your reasons, whether you take care, and I've gotten an email from a lot of you because you're taking care of elderly parents. You don't want to con uh, contact this and carry it to them. If you have children, we understand, and we're not going to dog you for being wise. Um, we do encourage you to stay our, in our study with us. Uh, in the next four weeks, we're going to be moving from uh, our study of who is this man to a study on the body of Christ. It's actually going to be a study of the book of Acts, uh, the New Testament, early church. 
Uh, and what did God do through them in his physical absence? So that'll start in the next few weeks. Uh, but we just want to encourage you. We are moving in that direction. We are also fully aware that we're being cautious. We are also fully aware that some of you think that this is not real or it's, we're being overly cautious. That's fine. Just make allowance for our foolishness. We appreciate your patience. We're just doing the best we can. And uh, thank you for that. We will get back to all of this. Uh, so let's see. I want to make sure that I, I mentioned everything for that. We're going to be doing Operation Christmas Child again this fall. Uh, and uh, we'll be careful through all that. So basically, again, a week from Sunday, next week, the 13th, September 13th, the week after next Sunday, we're going to just invite you to come. No more schedule of Bible study groups. Just come on out. Uh, at the end of September is Mother's Day out. If you have a child you want in that program, please contact Alicia, and she will put you in touch with that team. First Sunday in October, we're going to start having infant care during the worship service, zero through four-year-olds. And then after that, by the first of the year, we're going to have everything open if God allows. And we're going to keep track of everything going on. Uh, if you want to know why we're being slower than, than others, we want to see how things go with the school opening. Um, it is what it is. It's time to worship together. There's nothing like being in this room, so we want to encourage you all to come back for that. So uh, as I said, there's other things in the work. One of those things is we're not backing off of our digital campus. We've got so many people watching online all across the country. Even our men's Bible study this last Tuesday morning, we had three men from Dallas that joined us. So we are going to emphasize, uh, we are going to double down on our digital ministry and uh, make more and more available. So stick with us. Keep studying the scriptures. Stay involved in your Bible study group. If you don't have one, you let us know and we'll plug you into one. But we miss you and we're ready to get back together uh, whenever you feel safe. So uh, that's all the announcements If you ha or about that. If you have any questions, did I miss anything? All right. If you have uh, any more questions, did I miss anything? Doug, did I miss anything? Doug's not here. He doesn't go here anymore. Okay, he's up there. Anyway, anyway please feel free to email uh, or call us. We love you. Uh, we are glad to serve you. It's been crazy. The, the thing is, it's, it's just not going away. And, uh, you know, I read a statistic this week where even the flu vaccine is only 40% effective. So in some ways, this is here for good. We're going to have to learn to live with it. You're going to have to be wise in how you deal with it, and we understand that. And uh, we just want you to continue down that path and do what's best for you and your family. Just don't let Satan draw you away from worshiping, to, from studying the Scripture with us at least, and staying involved in, in your corporate family through your Bible study groups. Those are so important. And as time goes on, it's going to be easier and easier just to kind of slip back. So don't let Satan do that. We love you. Thank you so much for putting up with us. We're doing the best we can and praying for us. And we've gotten a lot of encouragement and a few not so encouraging things. But that's okay. We love you too. Um, <laughs> just as long as you wear your mask. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for this church and what you have allowed us to accomplish even over the last six or seven months where things have been kind of crazy. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that... Uh, we've lived. Uh, Father, thank you, Lord Jesus, this last week, how you protected us from these storms. And Lord, I know our friends to the east uh, were not so protected. But God, you, uh, we're, just, we're just thankful. Sometimes, it's just weird. Sometimes we get hit, sometimes we don't. And we don't celebrate the goodness, uh, the safety that we experience um, and not hurt for those who hurt. And so we pray especially for churches that are trying to put the pieces back together east of us, that we pray you'd be with them this morning. And Father God, for the body of Christ all across this land and across this world, 
no matter what the circumstances of the world is, may we stay committed to Jesus Christ. Father, as we turn our way, our eyes away from programming and COVID and the pressures of life, Jesus, help us now to turn our eyes on you. Speak to us this morning and bless us, having gathered together with you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Blessed be your name, oh God. Blessed be your name, oh God. Oh, blessed be your name, oh God.
For blessed be your name, oh God, and blessed be your name, oh God, oh blessed be your name. Yours is a power 
Let all that I am wait quietly before God, for my hope is in Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. My victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. All my people, trust in Him at all times. Pour out your heart to Him, for God is our refuge. This is my story, this is my song, 
risen by Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Praising my Savior all the day We just sing through that blessed assurance as I was kind of preparing for this week and this song and everything. Uh, most of you guys know our story. Just let me take just a minute here, if you don't mind, uh, about our kids and adoption and all that. And uh, when you start, like, if you really try to put everything in perspective of, like, who is this God that we come in here and we sing to and we, we read about? And uh, if he is who he says he is, if he is what his word says he is, then he's, he's unimaginable. He is, he's so beyond our comprehension. He's so big. He's so, all those whatever adjectives you want to use. But the fact is that he's adopted you. And, some, and somehow in all this craziness, he chose you to be his kid. If you guys know anything about adoption, me and Cece didn't choose us. They didn't come out and be like, hey, I want those guys to be my parents. We chose them. And the fact that God looks at you, the fact that God looks at me and says, I want that kid. I want that guy. I want that girl to be our kid. Now we have this assurance. We have this assurance because we didn't bring anything to it. We didn't, we didn't make this happen. We didn't come out and say, God, I want you. He said, I want you. He looked at you and said, I want you to be my kid. And that is, that should blow your mind. That should just put everything that we're going through, everything that's happening in your life, just kind of at rest. And I don't, you, we don't know what's going to happen next week. I mean, who would in February, who would have thought that this is going to, this is where we're going to be. But we have this assurance. We have this assurance that, we are his kids, and nobody's going to take that away. Nothing you're going to do, nothing that you're not going to do is going to take the fact away that he looked at you and said, I want you to be my kid. That is crazy. That is mind-blowing. And so as we sing this last song of just uh, trying to imagine that there he is, he's right there. He's, he's our dad. He's, he's our king. He's all those things, and he's right there. He's right there with us. And, uh, I would just ask if you're here, if you want to stand, you can stand and sing with us. If you don't, no pressure, nothing like that. But let's just sing these words out. My heart cries out, holy God, you are worthy of all the glory, all the honor.
There's a, a lot of talk. You could be seated. There's so much talk about the end times right now. And oh, I, don't, I don't know if they mean it, but there's so much fear mongering. But I do believe that as the children of God, the minute we see him, it's going to be like, there you are. There you are. We've been waiting for you. I just love that song. I know it's my favorite this week. It's, uh, I feel like Donald Trump. It's the most beautiful thing ever. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows how beautiful it is. I, I just, I, I do, I just love that song, and every time we sing it, I think of something new, and, and I just, child of God, I know, I know that, gosh, there's so much prophecy talk, and it makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up, and you kind of see the pieces uh, again, and uh, as, you, as you look at that, I want to remind you that when, when Jesus shows up on the scene in the clouds, or when we go to meet him in the air, it's not going to be like, oh no, it's going to be like, oh yeah, there you are. There you are. It is the blessed hope of the church. It is the blessed hope of the church. And actually, as I'm looking out this morning, I want to say, there you are. We, if, if this is your first time back, this is a big crowd for Carpenter's Way during this season. And we are so glad that we're here. you're here. And it's time. I mean, be smart, please. But it, it's, just, it's just time. Wear your mask so people don't freak out. But just, just worship together. Man, it's good to be together. So good to see you guys. Uh, wow. You just encourage me so much, and I appreciate it. Let me, let, let's pray. And uh, Father God, uh, you said uh, to the disciples, and we ended our message last week with your statement to Thomas, uh, you believe because you've seen, but blessed are those who, who believe having not seen. That's us, Father. Uh, as, uh, as the storm passed us this week, uh, we thanked you for answering our prayers. But then all of a sudden we realized that just about 100 miles or 60 miles to the east of us, you didn't answer their prayer. Not the way they asked. It's, it's really hard, Father, as we watch sports, we see a guy make a touchdown and he points up to heaven as if God was on his winning side. It's complicated, Lord. It's complicated uh, because we, we don't want to celebrate victory when it hurts somebody else. But you're a good God. And we do need to take time out to say thank you, even when, even when others may be hurting. And we thank you, Father. I thank you for this country. I uh, put on Facebook this week about a family in China that they've taken the child and put him in uh, communist re-education camps, a, a missionary, a pastor's kid. They've taken this man and they've thrown him in an education camp. Lord Jesus, help him stand tall. Help him to be faithful. I have no doubt that he can endure the persecution unless they present to him pictures of his children being persecuted. So give him courage. Meet with him, Father. Meet with us. I pray that as we study your word this morning, John 21, that at the end of our time we'll say, there you are, 
there you are. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would just keep our eyes on you. Help us, Father. And when we take them off, grab our attention again. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. In the final months of Jesus' ministry, he had told the disciples that he would leave them and that their hearts would be broken deeply. But then he'd come back and their pain would be turned into great joy, overwhelming joy. And then he told them that he'd only remain for a short time and then he'd leave them again to go to his father. He even told them that he needed to leave them because he was going to send somebody greater than himself to, to live within them. I, I want to remind you that what Jesus did under the old covenant, what Jesus even did on the cross, he redeems us. Under, until he dies, until he screams, it is finished on the cross, their sins were atoned for, just covered. They weren't removed. That's huge. Their sin was not removed. They were not sinless. They were waiting for their sin to be removed. That's what Jesus did on the cross. That's why he said it's finished. That's why he ripped the veil in the temple from top to bottom to say, you don't need a priest anymore. I'm your high priest. I'm your sacrifice. I'm the one who not only promises to take care of your sin, I have taken care of your sin. He told them, though, in all that, that he needed to now leave them so someone even more powerful than him could come and live within them, which is weird if you think about it. It's even in the church today, it's hard to imagine Jesus' presence isn't as powerful as the Holy Spirit's presence. I mean, the church in our culture has relegated the Holy Spirit to, I don't know, the, the, the worship leader in the church or the one who convicts us of sin, but nothing more than that. But we're going to learn, this is one of the reasons that we're going right from the study of Jesus' life, who is this man, into the study of the body of Christ. I guess I could have actually entitled it the force of the church, you know, the, used a Star Wars image. Because Jesus actually leaves so the Holy Spirit can come and inhabit us and transform us from the inside out, empower us for ministry, and that is what you're going to see in Acts. Acts is not about speaking in tongues. It's not about the dead being raised. It's not about the miracles. Those miracles had a purpose, and we'll get into those in the future time. I'm not saying God still doesn't do miracles. I'm simply saying that there's a function for those in understanding this transition from Jesus being here physically and answering questions to some failed men doing that ministry. This morning, we find ourselves in the, still in the story of Jesus, though, from the Scriptures. For 68 weeks, long time, long time, we have been looking at who Jesus actually is not from the Baptist church's ideals or the Assemblies of God church's ideals, but from the Scripture. And we've taken all four Gospels and we've tried to put them into chronological order and walk through the life of Jesus to try to glean from him. And this morning we still find ourselves towards the end of that. These disciples have just experienced extreme disappointment in that the one they thought the Messiah had been killed and died Remember, the men on the road to Emmaus said, we thought he was God's Messiah. To seeing him, an exuberant joy, he's back. Jesus had died. The women and James had watched the whole thing, including the sword piercing of his side. And now his closest followers have seen him alive. Mary Magdalene, 
Peter, I want to remind you that Peter had a walk with Jesus alone. It tells us that he did. doesn't tell us what their conversation was. The two men on the road to Emmaus and all of the disciples, at least on two occasions, occasions had actually seen Jesus for themselves. If we're not familiar with John's gospel, you might think that it's actually over at the end of chapter 20 with the resurrection. After all, Christ's ministry, his task of reconciling man to himself is over. Jesus has died on the cross. He's risen from the dead to prove that he had power over death. And you would think that like Easter, it's done. Jesus even said, it is finished. But John's gospel doesn't actually end there. In fact, I would like to add that as John's gospel doesn't end with the resurrection of Jesus, neither does your experience with God and the Holy Spirit end at your salvation, which kind of is the unspoken thing in the church. Even if you hear about discipleship, it is not the emphasis of the church today. The church is very busy getting people saved. And I would argue that's not really the job of our organization gathering. The job is for us to spur one another on to love and good deeds. The job, according to Ephesians chapter 4 of the church, is to equip you for the work of the ministry that God has called you to. You see, when Jesus referred to being saved as being born again, he meant it. That that moment in time, whether you did it by walking an aisle or praying a prayer, whether it was in VBS or it was on a beach or it was at a camp, whether it was alone in your car, that is actually the beginning of your walk with God. It's not the end. It's the beginning. And even though the church says that, we don't actually program that. We program that, well, at least he's saved. How many times have you said or heard people say, at least my kid's in church? That's not true. If they're in a church that doesn't teach the truth, it would be better for them not to be at church. A lie is still a lie, even if it's in a pretty place. And the reason that John 20 does not end the Gospel of John is because that wasn't the end of the disciples running with God until they get to heaven. This is the beginning. John 21, let's jump there. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Well, we'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing at, at night. Now, I'm trying really hard in this season, and we're not going to stop when we get into Acts, to help you understand that while many churches have steep or have stained glass of these people, they are normal people. They could sit right here in this room and have the exact same questions and struggles that you and I have. They're normal. And you see their normalness here. We don't exactly know why Peter decided to go fishing that day, but it's not a complete stretch to realize that the disciples' minds are blown. I mean, I want to remind you that emotionally, this last couple of weeks have been extremely up and down. Only a week or two weeks before this moment, they entered Jerusalem to, and, and a huge crowd hailing Jesus as their king on Palm Sunday. Then Jesus leads them, this parade of people worshiping him, right into the temple courts where he clears the temple out and tells even those following him that they have turned his house, father's house into a den of, of thieves. Then they watch him betrayed by one of their own, turned over to their enemies by one of their own, who actually kills himself. After that, they watch Jesus be arrested and even rebuke Peter for defending him at his arrest. They hear about Peter, uh, they hear ab uh, about how Peter denied Christ, even being a part of his followers, not only rejecting Jesus, but them. 
And then they watch Christ brutally killed or hear about it if they're hiding, and they wait for their own arrest and murders when when a resurrected Christ walks right through the locked door. Talking about an, an emotional nightmare. These people needed some sort of, I don't know, Xanax. This is an incredibly emotional week. And, and in my teaching, I understand this is a weakness of how we do understudy. But it feels like it's been over a period of months. It hasn't. It's only been two weeks. I mean, this is incredible. You think God is a disappointment to you. Imagine what they were thinking. That's one of the reasons I think the road to Emmaus story is so interesting. You want to know what they were thinking? Listen to them tell Jesus what they're thinking. Before they know he's Jesus, they tell him, and I remind you what I've already said. We thought he was the Messiah, but now he's dead. That's disappointment. And then Jesus shows up on the scene, and that's excitement. So what do they do? The same thing you and I do when we have an emotional day or week. We go home, some of you grab a glass of wine and turn on TV. Why? Because that's what you do. What a crazy week this has been. Even if it's good, you know, for those of us that are grandparents, some of us older than others, when the kids leave with the grandkids, you go, wasn't that a wonderful time? You go back to what you do. You just relax. You order a pizza. You, you pour cereal for dinner. Why? Because you don't want to cook and clean up. You've been doing it all weekend. The fact is that they didn't know what to do. So Peter says, oh. and I know I'm dramatic in my mind, but I kind of think they're like talking a million miles a minute, and Peter too, you know, can you believe we saw him? Yeah, I believe we saw him. Look at this. They're all talking. And finally, there's a break in the talk. I'm going fishing. We'll come too. I'm not going to sleep tonight. So they go fishing. Verse 4 in John 21. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. So take note, they don't know this guy. He's just some guy on the seashore 100 yards from him. He called out, fellas. (laughs) That's a great Hebrew term. I think that's a translation there. Gentlemen, have you caught any fish? No. Now, for those of you who are fishermen, That is not the question you want to hear, but they do answer it. Nope, we've been here all night. We haven't caught a thing. This was not the best night of fishing. In fact, they caught nothing. The first thing the disciples were going to need to learn for what they were about to be asked to do that we're going to see in Acts is that nothing will ever be the same. Not even the things that are normal in life would ever be the same. And that is the lesson that Jesus is going to begin teaching them right now. Even fishing would be under God's control. I want to remind you of John 15, 5. And we did study this. But Jesus said, I am the vine. You're the branches. Now picture that in your mind. This is not just a a parabolistic or, or symbolic teaching. I want you to think, you know what a branch is, you know what a vine is. We have them all over East Texas. Most are poisonous. You could cut the branch off, and the vine still lives. But the vine gives nourishment to the branch. I'm the vine. You're the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. Why? Because apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't do anything apart from me. That was a lesson that they were, had been taught, but now they were about to experience. Before Jesus bought them and adopted them, as, uh, as Chad talked about this morning, Before Jesus bought them on the cross and adopted them, they were simply his followers, his students. 
while the sins that we talked about had been covered or atoned for, is the Hebrew word, through the sacrificial system, through animal sacrifices, they were not removed or covered. Now their sin was gone. And another thing, they had been adopted. Their sin was removed so that God's unchanging plan, according to Ephesians chapter 1, could be accomplished. And that is that they could be adopted. That was the plan. The plan was not to keep them out of hell. The plan was not to make them good people. The plan wasn't to plant a church. The plan was to make us his adopted children, to adopt them into his family. They had been adopted by what Jesus Christ had done. They were his now. Jesus saving us is not just about going to heaven or being saved from hell. It is about being adopted. The word for being saved used throughout the New Testament is redeemed. You've heard that word. You, you've sung about it as a child in a church that sang more hymns. We did two hymns this morning. I told Chad I would point that out. Uh, there's, there's songs about redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Remember all those? I, I, I didn't get close to the melody line of that song. But that's okay. Because you show grace. Redeemed. You know that word. Think about the word, though. Your mind just goes to, oh, that means to be saved. I want you to think about what it means. Redeemed. It means to be bought back. Bought back. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 refers to that. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and is given to you by God? You don't even belong to yourself anymore. Why? Because God bought you with a high price. You've been redeemed. So you must honor God with your body. In other words, the disciples had to understand that they were not only kingdom servants now. They were not only kingdom people. They were not only God's uh, people, his disciples, soon to be apostles. But they were adopted. These are his own product. When God is your forgiver, he purchases you with the price of his life. He is now not only your savior and your father, but your owner. He is the vine. We are merely the branches, and we cannot do a thing without him. And I think we don't realize this. I don't think the disciples realize this, which is why Jesus let them go fishing all night, even though they think it's them thinking this up, and doesn't allow them to, to catch anything, because Jesus wanted to show them something. Yes, those are your nets. Yes, that's your boat. Yes, it's you who know how and where to go and what to do. Yes, that's you. But I got news. I'm the one who gets to control where the fish are, and whether or not they swim into your net. What is about to take place on this beach for the disciples is training for what was to come next, what we're going to study next. And the first thing they would need to know is that they cannot do anything, including feed themselves or fish in their own power ever again. So in John 21, back to our story, in verse 5, Jesus calls out, Friends! Have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw your net out on the right side of the boat. You'll get plenty of fish. Oh my gosh, can you imagine fishermen? How they must have felt about that? You realize our, our boat is only like 10 feet wide, right? They don't even know this is Jesus. You and I know it's Jesus. They don't know it's Jesus. They must have been exhausted. They must have been thinking to themselves, this could be the dumbest man we've ever met. Did you catch anything? We didn't catch anything. Try the right side of the boat. That guy's He's a preacher from Southern California. That is, that is not how you catch more fish because underneath is just water. That's all it is. Underneath is water. There's nothing separating the right and the left side of the boat except God. God. 
There's a lot of debate over today in the church over God's sovereignty. Is he in control or in command? Is he in command and not control? I, I don't even understand those questions. All I know is he's sovereign. And this points that out. He called out friends. Have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then they said, throw out your net on the other side, on the right side of the boat, and you'll get plenty of fish. So they did. And they couldn't draw in the net because there were so many fish in it. James said to Andrew, I told you we should fish on that side. They were waiting for us. Of course not. I want to make a big deal out of this. God had ordained that the fish would not be in the net until this moment. They didn't even catch the fish. The fish caught themselves. It doesn't matter. The fact is, these men who I think, Mark thinks, after all this emotional up and down, after they run out of things to say, look at each other, and Peter goes, I'm going fishing. I don't know what else to do. I'm hungry, and we better find money. We don't have anywhere. Jesus isn't walking with us today, so we better figure out what to do next. Let's go fishing. All right, we'll go with you. We'll help you with the nets. They go. They catch nothing. Jesus shows up. They don't know it's Jesus. He tells them they fish all night, no fish, and then it's God. It's sovereignty. It's a lesson that before Christ, you may have been something, but without Christ, you're nothing. And you learn that when you become his property. Then the disciple who Jesus loved said to Peter, John, that's who we're talking about, it's the Lord. John was helped pulling in the overfilled net of fish. And he does a double tech on this fish whisperer. Who is this guy? And he says to Peter, it's Jesus. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, I love that phrase, the Lord, ruler of all, king of the house, owner of everything, controller of all things, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work. He jumped into the water and he headed to shore. That's our Peter. Our Peter, he's impetuous, impulsive. He leaves the nets, he leaves the fish, and he leaves his friends behind as he swims for Jesus. Do you think Peter loved Jesus? Peter was so excited to once again see his Lord, he just left everything he had picked up again of the world to spend another precious moment with his Savior. I remind you that except for the conversation between the two men on the road to Emmaus, all of Jesus' interaction with these disciples was very short. He walked into a room, he let him touch him, he said something, he ate a piece of bread, he ate a piece of fish, and each story tells us that he disappeared. He didn't stay. So Peter has a hundred reasons why he should swim to shore. He wanted to be with Jesus again. We know, and I want to remind you of this, that Jesus and Peter had already had a walk on Resurrection Sunday. It tells us that they walked. That's significant because one of the things you'll hear from the pulpit, and I've probably said in the past is, Jesus never brings up Peter's sin. We actually don't know that. What we do know is they had a walk, and they had a talk. And whatever they had talked about that day, Peter wanted more of it. So he jumps out of the boat, leaving his friends and the fishes there, and he swims to shore. Here is something I think is super neat about this. Peter the denier had every reason to fear that Jesus because of his own sin. How often, even after we know we're forgiven, do you, do we let shame of our previous forgiven sins keep us from Jesus? Don't let them. They're forgiven. They're gone. Jump out of the boat and swim to Jesus. You run to Jesus as fast as you can. You leave every other follower behind to go be with Jesus. Go be with Jesus. Run to Jesus. You don't have to run to the Baptist church or the Assemblies of God church or your local church. Run to Jesus. In this season, in this season, whether you 
come physically to, to our home here or you stay online. Make sure you stay with Jesus. We're here to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. I want you back here. But I also want to understand that there's some risk involved. And as long as I buckle my seatbelt when I get in the car, I am not going to dog you for being wise. But I am going to dog you if you walk away from Jesus in this season. Run to Jesus. Does that make sense? Run to Jesus. Jump out of the boat. Put your clothes on first off. Lesson for that. Post-resurrection training has now begun. He's saying, now that you're mine, I am your vine. And without me, you can't do anything, including fish. Everything that you used to do is under my control, including fishing. John 21, verse 8, the others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to shore, for they were only about, 200, or about 100 yards from shore. So it's a football field. They're actually out the distance of a football field from shore. When they got to shore, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish were cooking over the charcoal fire and some bread. Is that an awesome scene? That is such a good scene. No mosquitoes were there because Jesus was there. That's how it works. They're just having breakfast. I mean, is, is this not the most beautiful, one of the, one of the coolest scenes in the New Testament? You're Texans. Look, you love this. You love this. One of the things, uh, the few things I miss about California is the crystal clear lake. There, uh, most, of the, uh, most of the rivers and lakes in California are snowmelt, especially in the northern part. And so the, the lakes, you can see all the way to the bottom. You don't need a fish finder in, in inland lakes in California. You can look down and see schools of trout. It, here, it's taking some adjustment for Julie and I and our kids to swim in the lakes because you actually have trees sticking up out of them. We haven't figured out how you water ski here. You must all be awesome at slalom because, because you can't see. And uh, Cecil Jackson, who is a scuba diver, I asked him, do you ever go... In the, uh, do you ever go in the lake, Sam Rayburn, is scuba diving, just looks at me like, how dumb are you? Pretty dumb. You can't see anything there. They're just not clean. I, but you love it. You camp at it. You take beautiful pictures of it of your kids, and that is awesome. You, you, uh, the beaches of California are a little different, just like they are on the East Coast. Galveston is awesome. And, and there are people in our church who collect shark teeth. You understand that if you collect shark teeth, that means that there's sharks there. You cray-cray. So it's every summer, one or two, I, I don't know if you know this, but the Galveston Bay has the largest amount of sharks in any uh, coastal water area in the United States. Did you guys know that? You know why? Because our shrimp fishermen lose shrimp as they're coming in, and the sharks come and eat them, and fish eat them, and then sharks come and eat those fish. There are, there are more, and I, I don't remember what kind of shark, and this is when somebody's going to say, you don't know what you're talking about, but there are a lot of sharks there, and they're not, they're not tame sharks. They're, they're not little friendly sharks with little, they, they don't talk like they did in Finding Nemo. They eat things like people. And, but, but it's, it's just, this is, these kind of guys, man, they, breakfast, breakfast on shore. They got there and pull their fish in and they're sweaty and excited because Jesus is back. Man, that was a, the last 12 hours were a perfect example of what their life had been like the last two weeks. Disappointment with fishing, but there's the chief fisher of men. They get there, and John paints this picture. It must have impacted him. Breakfast was ready. The charcoal was burning. The fish were ready, and bread had been cooked. How long had he been there? How long had he been there cooking them breakfast? King of kings, Lord of lords, risen Savior is still serving fools. How good is our God? 
Two scriptures came to mind as I read this. The first one is Psalm 23 that says, You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You welcome me as a guest. David loved that about Jesus. Another one is Matthew 6, 31 to 33, and this one we'll put on the screen. Don't worry about these things saying, what are we going to eat? What shall we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows what you need. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Seek first his kingdom. You knew it in the King James. And live righteously, and he'll give you everything you need. These disciples didn't even know they needed breakfast. They were so excited that Jesus was there. Peter had swam to shore. They see him probably hug him. They just want to pull in the nets. They want to get to shore. And when they get there, Jesus had made breakfast. I think Jesus is showing his new apostles or sent ones, which is what that means, that they can't ever go back to life as usual, even if they do usual things. That they would have to trust him as he would provide for them and their needs as they make the kingdom of God their primary concern. And it's the same with us. Do we trust him with our families? Do we trust him with our church? Do we trust him with our job? Do we trust him with our country? I am not saying that you shouldn't be politically active. I want to be clear. You should be politically active, but you should first seek the kingdom of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not that we don't seek a better America. It's not that we don't seek the best way to vote. It's not that we don't seek for righteousness in this country. It's that first we seek the kingdom of God. The most important thing we do is share Christ to people on the other side of the aisle. After that's over, you can vote. You can speak up for truth, but you've got to do it in a way that draws people. Because just like there were tons of fish to be caught that day, God's not going to let anything happen no matter how hard we work until it's time. And if on no, at the end of November it doesn't go the way you think it should, I assure you that God is still on his throne. And any second he wants, he can change it. This is the problem I'm having with the church causing people to panic. There is nothing to panic over because you are no less or more safe today under the Trump administration than you were in the Obama administration. Why? Because you are no longer part of this world. You have been adopted out of it. You are the child of God, and he is seeking first. Your, he's taking care of your needs while he asks you to perform for him. I'll come back to that. John chapter 21, verse 10. Jesus is so good at helping them, relating to them. Look what he does. Hey, bring some of that fish you've caught. And then I, look, I know I'm not the only one who realizes that there's already fish, fish being cooked and bread being cooked. <laughs> it was already there. Well, why did he have him bring more fish? Because he loves to use people. He could have cooked a whole whale that morning, and he still would have had them bring fish. Because he loves you. And somewhere in the middle of all this, there is a responsibility for you and I to pull in the nets and be faithful while God fills them. If you don't, no one will. That's not true, but he wants you to. I remember as a kid being asked by David Jeremiah, if you don't, you are, what was it, what's the line? You are plan A, God doesn't have a plan B, so don't screw up plan A. Well, I got news for you, Dr. Jeremiah. He doesn't need me to do anything. He invites me to do it. Nobody's going to be lost because of my unfaithfulness. I'm not responsible for people's souls. I am responsible for my life and my obedience to him. So cast the net. Not ch -ch -ch, cast the net. Did you not get that? That was funny. That was a cast the net joke. Okay, so we're a little slower after this season of COVID. I love it. Bring some fish you have just caught. Jesus said, so Simon Peter went aboard. <laughs> I love it. Simon Peter gets back on the boat, and he dragged the net to shore. There were 153 large fish. 
And yet the net hadn't scored. Just a sidebar. Totally off the subject. Well, not totally. But whose fish were those? Whose fish were those? I mean, let's, let's make the case for the disciples' fish. They're the ones who cast the net. They're the ones who pulled it in. It was their boat. So is it their fish? Well, it didn't get, they didn't get in the net unless Jesus sent them. So whose fish are those? They're his. Whose money's in your wallet? Whose money's in your wallet? Is it your money? Yeah, you work for it. Yeah, you put it in your wallet. But if God doesn't allow you to put money in that wallet, there's no money in the wallet. And I think sometimes we forget, okay, I'm going to give 10% or whatever to God's work. And I'm not talking about tithing necessarily, but I'm going to give this to God because that's what he asked for. Actually, if you want to know the truth, he, he owns it all. It's all his. And I think we forget that. And the point I'm making and why I'm drawing this out is I want you to understand that what I think Jesus is saying to the disciples here is there are normal things you've done in life in all your 35 years. There is stuff you're used to. There is stuff that you do without even thinking, like fishing, for instance. I got news for you. No more fish will ever enter your net until I tell them to. And I want you to know that if you are truly a child of God today, you are not merely saved from hell. You are adopted to the family of God, and therefore everything about you belongs to him now. Everything, every moment, every hour. We, we ask ourselves, there, there's a debate. What does God expect of a pastor today? Forget that. What does he expect of his children? You are not your own, First Corinthians says. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. And remember what our grandparents told us about that verse? That we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, so don't smoke unless you have a tobacco farm. Then it's don't drink. Not to do something. Don't hurt your body. Don't use drugs. While those are fine applications, the point is, do everything for him. Glorify God with your body, your mouth, your feet, your voting pen. Glorify him. Glorify him. Don't vote for yourself this year. Vote for Jesus. I, I don't mean like put Jesus on the ballot. But the value system. And let's be honest, both sides have problems. But you need to, you need to judge the value system. It's interesting. Last time I said this, I got some email from people saying, you're telling people to vote Republican. Now you know what the value system of God is. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying vote Republican. I'm not saying vote Democrat. You study the scriptures and you look and you simply decide in your heart what the Holy Spirit would have you do and then do it. Because on November, what is it, the 7th? Is that the election day? Is it 3rd? So on November 4th, God will still be in charge. I know who I want to serve him, but it doesn't matter. I trust him, and I am going to vote, and you should vote. Why are you talking politically? I'm not. I'm talking about living in a world that's scary. Everybody's scaring you. Fox News is scaring you into vote their way. CNN is going to scare you into voting their way. Seek first the kingdom. Live fear-free. Well, what about my kids? He's God. Today, in China, there's a family that's been separated because of a man's faithful servant to the Lord. He is, he, as a pastor, he was arrested. He, they, are, they are trying to brainwash him. They've took, taken his kid to a school that teaches you the better ways. I mean, this is all factual. His wife is being, is, is being mistreated, and I don't know the level to which, but Voice of the Martyrs is talking about this guy. What you haven't experienced, what we fear, is already happening to our brothers and sisters in Africa and China and Iran. Stand tall, family. It could happen to us, too. Well, I don't want it to happen. They don't want it to happen either. But we seek first the kingdom of God. And we have to understand, what does that have to do with this? You have to understand that I think that the disciples and Peter went fishing because it's what they knew and they were comfortable with, and they threw the nets in and nothing happened. And then Jesus said, throw it on the other side, and they threw it in and everything happened. And everything had changed. Everything had changed. 
So Jesus brings fish, has him bring it. Peter brings 153 large fish to him in verse 12. Now come and have some breakfast, he says. Is Jesus cool or what? I don't know. He probably had 100 things he'd like to say to these guys, but instead he feeds them breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was Lord. Then Jesus served them bread and fish. Are you kidding me? King of kings and Lord of lords, creator of the universe, the sovereign one. Hebrews says that Jesus spoke into existence anything that does exist. Hebrews tells us nothing stays together except to the power of Jesus. And he's serving them breakfast? This really is an upside-down kingdom we're in. This was the third time Jesus appeared to disciples since he had been raised from the dead. This had to be so significant to Peter. In fact, he refers to this two other times in his letters, having eaten with the risen Lord at the beach. I love what happens here, though, because Jesus is about to have another talk with Peter. And you're familiar with this because it's been taught 150 times. There was something that, that they needed to get straight before Jesus leaves Peter's and the disciples before he returns to his father. And that's what the next 40 days is about, or 35 days he's got left, is getting this straight in their mind. I love the timeline of this scene. I love that he doesn't begin with the intense moment of teaching, but he feeds them. That's what he promised I already know what you need. I'll take care of your needs if first you seek the kingdom of God. And you have that exemplified here. God loves you, family. God loves you. And he knows what you need. And no matter what happens in the next six months or what happens with COVID, I promise you he's going to take care of you according to his riches and glory and plan. It's going to be okay. Listen with your heart and your ears as Jesus talks with Peter in front of the disciples. I know you know this. Can you try to look at it like you never have? It's after, after breakfast, and they're still sitting around the fire. Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He's talking about the disciples. Do you love me more than leading these guys? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Peter, then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. The third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? It tells us that Peter was hurt. That's what the New Living Translation says. But the other, uh, the other translations infer that he's angry. The Greek doesn't exactly tell us his emotion, but we know that this bothered him. Imagine the arrogance of him. At this point, if it's me, I think... I'd just be glad he's talking to me. He could ask me the same question 900 times, but not Peter. Peter's upset. He was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Peter had denied Christ publicly three times, and now Jesus is giving him an opportunity to proclaim his commitment and love for Christ three times in front of the other disciples. Please see this with me. The disciples are thinking, that their ride is over. Jesus is resurrected. We're going to kind of hang out until Jesus comes back in his kingdom and his glory. This is great. The disciples think that all the good stuff's done until they go home, much like the church today. I got saved in VBS at 7. Well, uh, do you walk with God? I go to church once in a while. Different question. 
we kind of get saved and, okay, it's done. Now let's just see in the kingdom. I think the disciples probably for the most part thought, I think they finally realized that they didn't understand the timing of Jesus. They kept presuming certain things. They had said that. They had watched him die and resurrect, and now they're just glad to be part of his, his family, part of those that are on his side. So instead of questioning him, they do the opposite. They sort of think, okay, whatever you want, Jesus, we'll just, we'll just see you then. But as they listen in, as Jesus addresses Peter the denier, they have to begin to realize that this adventure, this journey with Jesus, at least for Peter, was beginning. It wasn't the end. Something was changing. Something was happening. And folks, I want you to remember that when you accept Christ's offer to forgive your sin, you are born again into new life. It isn't that we're saved, just saved from something. It's that a new life has begun. We're his now. And apart from him, we really can't do anything anymore because he owns the past, the present, and the future. It is not about heaven and hell. It is about our sin being removed so that we can be adopted into God's family and be brought into the family business. If you doubt me, look again at Ephesians chapter 2. This is a section of scripture I bring you to all the time because it's so pivotal in your understanding of what God wants from us now that we're saved. God has saved you by his grace when you believe. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift. It's a gift from God. Salvation, and he doubles down. He wants to make it clear. Salvation is not a reward for good things we have done. None of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He, you understand that. It's not saying you're pretty or you're a nice person. He's saying that you have been saved by God. You are a trophy of his grace. You are beautiful because of the work God did, not because you're beautiful. You are God's masterpiece, his work. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So, why? So that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. In other words, our rebirth, our adoption into his family, had a purpose more than keeping us out of hell. It was so that we could do the things now in this life that he prepared for us to do. And I really want you to think on this. Peter, who blew it bad, who deserves eternal judgment for his denial, is forgiven and called into ministry just a week after denying him. While it is true that we are trophies of God's grace, that we sit on his mantle in heaven as trophies, that when Satan comes and accuses us of, that, of bad, the father points to Jesus and says, he bought that person, so step away, Lucifer. We are not only trophies of his grace. Christ not only forgives Peter, he establishes a job and ministry for him. He exhorts Peter three times with three unique challenges. Feed my lambs. In other words, I want you to disciple young believers. Take care of my sheep. Talking about those that are faithful. I want you to protect them, Peter. Watch over them from wolves. And the final one is feed my sheep. Feed them with the truth of God's good grass. Teach them the truth. Why should Peter do that? Because God had saved Peter by his grace when he believed. And he couldn't take credit for it. It was a gift from God. Salvation for Peter was not a reward for good things he'd done. He never did do good things. He can't even boast about it. Peter was God's masterpiece. He created Peter anew in Christ Jesus. So now, as Jesus ascends into the heavens and he sends the Holy Spirit to inhabit Peter, Peter can now do the things God planned for him long ago. Now you know why we're going into Acts. Because Acts is not really this supernatural story of, 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 of uh, 
supernatural events done by a few people, and you could get that kind of power. That's not what the story is. The story of Acts is about God using a bunch of fools that we've been studying for his own glory. That's what it's about. It's about people like you and I who are constantly overreacting or underreacting, and God going, I'll use you through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what the story's about. It's about the body of Christ. Some of us are warts, some of us are fingernails. Some of us are mouthpieces, some of us are, I don't know, but it's God using us. Sorry about the warts thing. That just flowed out. You're not a wart. After this, and the disciples are listening into Peter and Jesus go back and forth, Jesus and Peter take a walk. The truth is, when you were young, Peter, you were able to do as you liked and go wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and others will direct you. And they'll actually take you, Peter, where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know what kind of death he would die to glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. What? They had just had this awesome breakfast. Jesus and Peter were buds again. There was nothing separating them. They were close. But Peter's being told, son, you're not your own anymore. He couldn't go back to fishing. He had been bought with a high price, and it would come at personal cost. Peter, you can no longer walk where you want to walk. You go where I tell you. In fact, I'm going to take you on a walk at the, uh, at the end of your life to a cross, and you'll be killed like I was. And then i got to tell you, buddy, you won't want to go, but that's where I'm leading, so follow me. Ready for Peter, Peter's courageous response? <laughs> Peter is the man. John 21, verse 20. As he's listening to Jesus, Peter turns around and sees behind him the disciple Jesus loved, John. So they're walking, Jesus and Peter, and they're talking. And Jesus just tells Peter he's going to die on a cross or how he's going to die, and Peter just actually, one for once, he keeps his mouth shut. And he's looking around, and he sees John kind of following. And he leaned over to Jesus. Oh, I'm sorry. He explains who that is. He, uh, let me read it again. Peter turned around, and he saw behind him the disciple Jesus loved, the one who leaned over to Jesus during supper, and he asked, Lord, who will betray you? So we know it's John. But this is what Peter asked Jesus on their little private talk. What about him? What a boob. This wasn't about John. But he's just like us. He's just like us. Jesus says, okay, I want you to do this. Am I the only one? You might be. Jesus replied, Son, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, you just follow me. Just before I go to the end, you understand that in modern English, right? Mind your own business, buddy. That's not your concern. If I let John live and I have you martyred, it's not your business. So the rumor spread among the community of believers that this disciple wouldn't die. <laughs> But th that isn't what Jesus said at all. He only said, if I want him to remain alive and when I return, what is that to you? Wow. And that's the end of John's gospel. There's two more verses. And basically, John just says, there are many more stories and all the books in the world can't carry them. I only recorded the ones for you that I really felt God wanted me to record for you. There's two more verses, but 
The book ends with Jesus being amazing and Peter being ridiculous and controlling and wanting more information than God wanted to give him. Did you catch that? Like us with the return of Christ, Peter wants more information than God wanted to give him. You know, there's a lot of mysteries about the will of God, and it's time for the church to be okay with it. You don't know for sure that there's a pre-tribulation rapture. I do, you don't. I'm kidding. We don't know that for sure. We don't know for sure what America looks like. I don't care how many times Tim LaHaye preached it. Just because America isn't in the Bible in prophecy or we don't see it doesn't mean that it won't be there. We don't know. We don't know what it looks like. And you would think that after studying the Scripture, you'd realize that God tells us just enough to confuse us so that we'll trust in Him. We have no idea what tomorrow holds. And we're certainly not going to stop it. So what do we do? Follow Him. Well, what if I die of cancer? You're His. You're His. So glorify God with your body. Well, I don't want to die of cancer. Glorify God with your body. Well, if I die, how can I glorify Him? Teach us how to die well. Tell your doctors about dying well. You know, ministry, ministry isn't the way, is it, is it this, okay? It's not this. It's not preaching and teaching and singing. That's part of ministry. Ministry is what we do all the time. To the waitress that pours tea on us, to, to, the, to the police officer that pulls us over because we happen to be speeding in his area. How dare he? To the person who genuinely struggles with America's past. To the African-American who feels that they're still being untreated, ministry still exists to them. To the person who's afraid of the COVID, as you talk to them through the mask, you don't think you should have to be wearing. Ministry. Ministry. To the pastor who's too slow at opening the church and stupid. Did you pray? I asked you to. To the people in Washington, D.C., that are so ridiculous and they're so hateful, do you pray for them? To the person on the other side of the aisle who's pro-abortion, do you pray for them? Oh man, I would be praying all the time if I did that. Which takes us back to the verse that says pray without ceasing. Now we've been trained that this is praying, dear Jesus, um, just talk to him. Talk to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I know you're in me. So if you'd listen up for a second, I've got a concern. Stephen Lewis drives me crazy. That's not true. You, yes, you do. You do care, Stephen. Stephen said he doesn't care. He cares. He cares a lot. Listen, it's not about what you like or don't like. It's about God's will being done. If you don't know what to pray, tell him you don't know what to pray. He got, he's got that too. The point is that days after the resurrection... They really didn't know what to do, so they went fishing. Sometimes you leave church and you don't know what to do, so you go have lunch. I get it. But when you're at lunch, you're on the clock. And when you wake up Monday morning, you're on the clock. And when it's late on Friday night and your kids are acting up, you're on the clock. And when people come to your door, you're on the clock. Because we are no longer just people. We are the adopted children of God saved not by anything we deserve but by his work so that we can perform the things he asks us to do. And Peter, in this moment, was the first of those. And the other disciples had to be going, whoa, what about us? Don't worry, he's going to talk to them soon. 
Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for the scriptures where these guys write themselves as less than perfect for us. And I ask you, my Father, help us not to be satisfied with salvation. May we be willing to follow you even if it hurts us. Thank you for Peter. Thank you for the disciples, for John who records this for us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that is divine. May we cling to you like a branch clings to the vine. For these folks, Father, as we go out about our lives and things kind of normalize, as we try to stay away from getting sick, as we try to take care of our family, as we continue to do ministry as a church, may we be as wise as we can, but may we not go into hiding. And now, O oh Lord, speak to your children and change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I hope all of you but Stephen have a really good day. God bless you guys.